Welcome, fellow humans, to the Writing is on the Wall radio broadcast coming to you from WHKW 1220 on your AM dial, a Salem radio station. You may address me as TA, which stands for the teacher's assistant, and normally I give out the phone number for people to call in. Unfortunately, I'm needing to require, I'm required to record this in advance so we won't be taking any calls tonight. And as I always say, this program is a non-religious, non-spiritual investigation of everything we can discern that was created, recorded, and modeled for us in the Bible. I've been with you over the last 13 weeks, and I wanted to let you know that um, tomorrow evening, this evening later, I will be talking with Dennis Prager, and I'm going to try and enlist him um, in a, an effort to get um, a bit more direction and leadership for people in the United States of America, myself included. We have allowed things to just uh, run as they would, and we have not taken care of things, and we are in some fairly dire straits. Well, it probably won't surprise you, but this, of course, was all foretold in the Bible, not as far as the date, but as far as the things leading up to the problems that we would have, and the problems we would have were foretold. This is our big test. Now, I'm going to go over everything that I've done, but the test is that we need to consciously choose and then decide to bring about a hybrid model for decision-making. Currently, every human you know and every human that has ever lived was trained in subjective decision-making, that is, how does it affect me? What do I think about this? What do I feel about this? What do my friends think? What do I want to support? It's all about you, the individual. This is not healthy. The Bible told us it wasn't healthy. Matter of fact, in Genesis 3.3, Adonai uh, said, well, actually, the, the devil was saying in 3.3, surely all of humanity won't cease to exist if you choose to eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge. Unfortunately, um, it is true, but it's not because God is going to cancel our ticket. It's because we will. And that's the problem that most of us don't understand because we are subjectively oriented. We think of power and knowledge as the foremost things in our world and in our vision and unfortunately they are, but we need to think objectively. And this is the method that the Bible produces. It tells us that we should think objectively, make decisions objectively. We should always search for reality. The way that God put it in the Bible, in the Old Testament or the original Testament, was use my faith in you and your ability to succeed as the foundation for what you will build. And the original cornerstone is logic. Look up John 1, 1. The second cornerstone is reason. It's how you manipulate the logic to come up with a conjecture. And the third cornerstone is wisdom. And wisdom is what you use to check the things that you came up with. Does it make sense? Will it make everybody better? Will life be better? Those are the three cornerstones. The fourth cornerstone, of course, we didn't get until Jesus came, and he brought us grace and truth. Now, unfortunately for us, we have characterized that as love, and it is an aspect of love, but it's also a lot more severe than love. Truth cannot be emotionally bound over. Truth exists. It is real. So the things that I wanted to go over with you today are the writing is on the wall comes from Daniel 5. I would look that up if I were you. In particular, the gentleman who was sitting there playing with uh, all the goods knew that the army of Darius was outside and was going to come in and get him. He thought that the walls would hold, but of course we know that they didn't because it wasn't the walls. 
It was the gate over the river. And they came in and they took over the city. But the writing is on the wall has been used by humans ever since to let us know that change needs to be imminent or destruction is apparent. I hope you got that. It's not just point of view. It's not how you look at things or think of things. It's reality. If you don't change what you're doing, you will fail. Funny, that's the same thing that Jesus said in John. And that's the things that we need to study because the Bible was not just written for us. It was created for us. God put the Jewish people together as a group so that they could represent humanity, not just the Jewish people. God likes this idea of people representing all of humanity. And because he's God, we go with that. So he created the Jews. He brought them out of Egypt. He told them right up front, straight to their face, you will be an example before all men, for good or for ill. The choice is yours. Well, of course, we know what happened. After Exodus came Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy supposedly the second book of the Bible, but it's actually the fifth because it kind of expanded Moses' laws. But the fact is that it's the contract between God and the Israelites. The Israelites, however, are the representative for all of mankind. And God lays it out for them, what he wants and what he expects. But finally, we get to Deuteronomy 30. Now, remember, this is 3,400 or more years ago. And Moses is telling the people assembled in front of him at Mount Horeb on the plain exactly what God has told him. He goes through the prophecies. He says, you will be scattered to all the winds. You will be hunted. You will be killed. And there will be few of you. But one day, God will gather you back into the promised land. It will be yours once again. Now, as I speak, Israel exists. It is the promised land. It also is the area that is the nation state of Israel. So the Jews' home state is there. They still live in many other places. But there is one more thing that has to happen before the end, and that gives us time. We don't know how much time but we know we have time. And that's because we as Christians, and I'm a Christian and hopefully you are too, but if not, you should look into it. Um, Christians are God's children by choice. He formed the Jews to be his chosen people. But then he sent Jesus and he gave people the opportunity to be his obedient children by choice. That's in John 1, 12. Uh, but in John 3, all of John's important, but John 3 is where we understand or where we need to understand what it was that Jesus said. Unfortunately, none of the Gospels recorded it, and that's because they didn't understand They couldn't explain it to anybody else because they didn't understand it. And that is where Jesus said, you have to structure your life to make decisions objectively. Not entirely. Whether you like this wine or that cheese or food or whatever, that's all subjective, and that's fine. But when you are building your civilization to house and protect and feed you and the people that surround you. You need to make those decisions objectively and structure your civilization that way. People didn't understand, but in John 3, John recorded, because it was important to Jesus, what Jesus and Nicodemus were talking about. Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of Israel, top 70 guys. 
They're all very religious. And because of that, Nicodemus had to come to Jesus at night. He couldn't chance being seen and reported on by any of the tattletales in the area. So he said to him, after talking to him, and after listening to the speech that Jesus gave, what is this about being born again? We cannot go back into our mother's womb. We do not fit. Jesus explained to him, and unfortunately all we get is the back and forth, that being born again means you have to start making your decisions as though you were a different person. And that's it. You put self aside and work for the betterment of all. Now, Christians got that idea, but they didn't understand the restructuring that had to happen. They just took the going back into the womb part as just a bit of funny talk. Of course you can't do that. Everybody knows that. So what is this being born again? When you structure your life, not simply for yourself, but for others, and you do it objectively, not subjectively, trying to help others, trying to do other things, but you actually switch and objectively decide what your life is going to be and what the decisions are that you make, when you make that switch, you absolutely change. It's not all about you. Again, Christians got that. They didn't get the part where you switch to objectively making decisions. Now, what do I mean by objectively making decisions? I mean... If somebody says something and it's true and you don't like it, it doesn't matter. If it's true, it's true. You work on why you don't like it. You work on why you don't understand it. You work on how it can be better for other people. This is the wisdom check. The whole idea is that you structure your life and all the lives of the people that you know in such a way that you're not just thinking about you, the individual, or friends of yours or family, but you're thinking about everyone on the planet because everyone is a child of God. Fine. That's all true. We know that. We accept that. Unfortunately, some of those children do no longer obey God. They abide by the prince of the air, and that's in Ephesians 2.2. The children of dark, we are still responsible for them as Christians. That does not mean that we have to listen to them and do what they say. That doesn't mean that we should allow them to get in our face. What it does mean that we are responsible for structuring a civilization such that we can go forward and grow up and one day become adult, obedient children of God. That's what we need to shoot for. And the only way to do it is the way Jesus said, which is to objectively make decisions. I can't say how important this is. This is the main reason that Jesus came to earth with a mission. This was his mission. It wasn't to make people feel better. As he said, it wasn't to bring anything new. He was going to put one brother against another because truth was more important than feeling good. So we are at that point now where we have followed through history and we need to respond. We're at the part where Jesus said, or pardon me, where God said, I hope, I want, you to choose life, not to choose death. If we do not change, as Jesus reported to us, we are choosing death. And that's something that I do not want, and I'm pretty sure most Americans do not want. Unless, of course, they have been infected by liberals. And that's a problem. That is the shifting sands that we were warned about. 
Um, 20, 30 years ago, liberals said one thing. They're saying something totally different now. And that's the shifting sand that you cannot afford to build a civilization on. Unfortunately, the shifters of that sand feel righteous in their indignation that we will not get with them and play on the sand. When we Christians and we responsible individuals want to build on bedrock and have something that will last, they laugh at us, give us a hard time, and so far we have just taken it, and we can no longer afford to take it. So I'm going to go over the problems that we have that I outlined in the past, but one thing you should always remember, and that is that Everything that is in the Bible, uh, Original Testament and New Testament, certainly in what Jesus said, is encapsulated by Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, fifth chapter, starting with uh, verse 19. Paul said, don't put out the Spirit's fire. Don't despise what God has revealed. Instead, test everything. Hold on to what is good and keep away from every kind of evil. That's it in a nutshell, folks. That is it in a nutshell. He didn't say question everything, be a pain in the neck. He didn't say give your brothers a hard time. No, what he said was don't put out the Spirit's fire. So if you feel called to respond, do it. Don't despise what God has revealed. Everything in the Bible we have as a revelation from God, either about ourselves or about him or about what our future might contain. Instead, test everything. And that's it. Don't just question, test. All right, is it better if I do this? Is it worse? What if so-and-so did this? Would that be better? Would it be better for everyone if I were to do this, even though it takes more work? That's what Paul intended. Test everything. Hold on to what is good. And then finally, verse 22, keep away from every kind of evil. And that's the problem. We don't recognize evil. We have accepted it as though it were air. Air we breathe. It's just here we, when it comes into our life, we try and deal with it. We don't try and deal with it proactively, and that's a problem, and that's something we're going to have to work on. We're going to have to work on identifying it, what evil wants, and what we can do to abjure evil, and that means to push it away and not give it any kind of sustenance, whatever. All right, our biggest problem is our human point of view. Our human point of view limits us. Every person you know was not only created by, but trained by another human, who was trained by another human, who lives in a bunch of other humans, and who has been given the perspective of other humans. That's the only perspective that they have, is other humans. Now, if they read some science fiction or something like that, they might get an idea from people who are trying to expand things what other creatures may have thought or felt or whatever, but it's all related to humans. And that's because we were all raised subjectively. Adam chose power and intelligence. And pardon me. Knowledge, power and knowledge, instead of understanding. In Genesis chapter 2, we see that God trained Adam to think responsibly and objectively. He was naming the animals, and God accepted those names because he named them in a way where other people could understand them. And that's how he was trained. It wasn't until Genesis 3 that the problem existed, and that is when he listened to someone other than God. Now, we know 
history has told us that that snake was evil incarnate. And God reacted to it to give us something to look at and to stay away from. But we have not ever gone all the way back. Adam never repented. He never said, God, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Show me your way once again. Give me a hand. Help train me. No, none of that. He did not repent. So whenever we repent, we don't know what we're repenting of. We're repenting of our own individual faults. We don't realize that every decision we make is sinful because it is against what God wants for us. We are not responding. We are not objectively thinking. We're not trying to raise all boats. We only want something to be good for us and our family and our friends. And if it takes advantage of another human, tough. Well, that's not what God wants. He wants us to consciously choose objectively to make things better for everyone and to build a society which is fair and just. Now, how do we know that? Because God was just? Yes, although the way it's couched sometimes, it doesn't seem that way. And we need to investigate that a lot more, too. But Jeremiah 9.24, Jeremiah asked, God, what is it that you want from humans? God said, I want humans to be able to brag that they know me and everything that I have done because it is just and I have done it for them. And we're not at that point. None of us are at that point. Those of us who read that and understand and go back, yes, we understand that God did it all for us. You might think you know that, but until you switch and start making decisions objectively, you won't switch 100%. You'll just add it to your repertoire. But when your first thought is, how does it affect me? Then you're thinking subjectively. If your first thought is, all right, what can I do to improve things for everyone around me? Then you're thinking objectively. The more you do that and the more people you get doing that, the better things will be. Until we get to that point, we are not going to do well. So every person that you think of and can talk to and are related to and, and know has a perspective that is limited by other humans. This is another thing God warned us against. Use reality as your base. Do not do not only see the things that you expect to see. There's a lot bigger, I'd say world, but it's a lot more than a world out there, and we all know it. And yet we are allowing our perceptions to dictate what we think and feel and how we react. That's not bad as long as you understand that that's not the answer. It's when you think, and this is straight from Solomon, Proverbs 3, 5, when you think that you know what's going on and you do not respond, then we have a problem. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Love the Lord God with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. So, that is the most important part to take out of this, and that is that you think you know what you're doing, and we know that you don't. All right, well, it's coming up on time for our break, and uh, we'll get a word from in from our uh, sponsors. And then when we come back on the out on the backside, I will tell you as much as I can about what um, we need to do to straighten things out.
Fake news? Racist hats? Are you afraid to believe anymore? Well, let me tell you of one brave soul who, like David, slew Goliath. The true story of one man's fight against greed, corruption, and insatiable ambition in small-town Ohio, Checkmate reveals why passion and integrity are rare in the corridors of swing state politics. If you want to hear the truth, how the swamp operates in Ohio with all the political corruption in real time, get Steve Krause's tell-all, true-life story, Checkmate, One Man's Fight Against Political Corruption, available on Amazon. As a newly elected state representative, Steve takes you behind the scenes, behind the closed doors, and rips back the curtain to expose all the lies, the deceit, and power-hungry gamesmanship. Checkmate reads like a TV drama, but it's not. Once you start it, you won't be able to put it down. Checkmate, one man's fight against political corruption by Steve Krause, available on Amazon today. Be afraid. Be very afraid. There are those in Washington who want the IRS to take more of your hard-earned money. Are you tired of being the perpetual cash cow for every scheme, unreasonable program, and for all the fraud, waste, and abuse in our system? Well, good news. I can help. George Satari has almost 40 years of experience helping people like you keep more of what you make. It makes no sense that the more you make, the more they take. Let George help you keep your money away from the government bureaucratic waste and in your pocket. Call 216-651-1120 right now and schedule your free consultation today. Instead of a victim, you'll, you'll be, be the, the victor. victor. With many success stories, George helps with tax planning, estate planning, financial and business analysis, and more. The new tax law has many ways to save money with retirement planning, accelerated depreciation, up to 20% exception of net earnings, and so much more. Call 216-651-1120. That's 216-651-1120. You earn it, we'll help you keep it. That's George Satari, CPA, 216-651-1120. Welcome back from the break. My name is T.A., and we are still on the Writing is on the Wall broadcast. Now, in the first half of our program, I went over the generalization, the important stuff in the Bible that directs us to do what we need to do and step out and step up. I'm going to go more specific this is being recorded in the United States of America. I'm an American, and hopefully you are too. But if not, um, I can understand that you're listening to this at another time. Um, our world began to change in 1517. Uh, it began before that, of course, and it's always been going on. The devil has been against us, uh, D. D. Evil, director of evil, devil. Um, and if you're not aware of it, uh, evil, of course, is live spelled backwards. And um, that kind of thing is um, not really an anagram. It's like, do you live to eat or do you eat to live? If you live to experience things in the now and that's all you care about, you don't care about pushing anything forward or trying to make things better for anybody else or structuring the society in which you live, then basically you're, you are knuckling under to evil. But if, on the other hand, you um, eat merely to live so that you can push things ahead and you can be responsible and you can structure things so that other people coming along behind you will have something to go on, help build a civilization, then you are living. Um, and that is probably the big dividing line. Um, and the fact that it's already in our language lets you know that we're not the first people to look at it. So in 1517, Martin Luther um, tacked his theses to the wall of the courtyard so that people coming by to celebrate All Saints Day, he did it on Halloween, coming through to celebrate All Saints Day the next day for food and drink and to see 
catch up with everybody and see how things were going on so that they would be able to read them on the way in and, and see whether they agreed and whether this was a topic for discussion. And, of course, it was. Martin Luther challenged the Roman religion for the soul of humanity. He was not a wishy-washy kind of guy. He was very, very committed to doing his job. Um, God was important to him, and mankind was important to him, and he wanted the two to be joined together as much as possible. Even though he didn't understand exactly how it could be done, that's what he wanted. Because of him, Protestantism erupted. Uh, The Roman religious authorities persecuted Christians and killed many and... um, and many more escaped to the New World. And that's how the United States eventually started. Religious persecution. So religious persecution was so much a founding part of the United States that when the deist, non-religious, Masonic, biblical scholars that were our founders, realized through reading the Bible that America was the promised land for Christians, the same as Jordan, Israel, was the promised land for Jews. And the Jews had to cross the Jordan, and they had to remove others from the power over that land and institute their own authority under God. Just the same as those in America fleeing religious persecution crossed the Atlantic Ocean and had to remove others from authority in the land so that they could establish it under God through Jesus. Now, this is something that we don't talk about, even though our founding fathers were very aware of this. Now, why don't we talk about it? Well, Ephesians 2, 2, if you read that, you'll find that the ruler of this earth, and that is something you should do a little research on also, Olam Hazeh, meaning the 6,000 years between the time when Adam was decanted, if you will, and today is the devil. So he has authority over everything that happens on this earth. We have access to God. He does not. So anyhow, our non-religious Masonic biblical scholars that founded the United States of America decided to create a republic rather than a democracy and established a Bill of Rights requiring the Bible be used to lead rather than any religion, including social standing. So it didn't matter whether you were rich, whether you are noble, um, didn't matter. If you were above the age of consent, and you could, um, would register to vote, then you had a vote, one man, one vote, as long as you were a citizen. If you were not a citizen, you couldn't vote. So free America, built to God's specifications, is eventually infected and overtaken by evil. Now, the evil, of course, was in Europe. We fought World War II to free Europe from that evil, but we didn't clean up afterwards, unfortunately. Nazism, communism, socialism, all the isms really, are offshoots of libertinism, including liberalism today. Now, libertinism was started in Geneva, Switzerland, in 1546 by an international banker. 
Now, this banker was also a purveyor of playing cards to the upper classes, almost entirely nobles. Now, what's such a big deal? I mean, it's just playing cards, right? Now, today they are. Back then it was a big deal because it was all the rage and they were willing to give up a lot of money to have these and to have them be friends of theirs painted on. and They were called pasteboards at the time. But it was all to play a game. So he came up with games, and he enthralled them and enthused them, and he eventually owned many of them. The problems in France with the revolution is all as a result of that. Everything... All the problems that we see today are a result of that. They started then, they continue today, and they started with him going to John Calvin, who was the rector of the consistory of Geneva and basically ruled the place and said, men like us should not be in one another's faces. We shouldn't fight. We should get along. Nature has proven that I am superior by lifting me out of the masses, giving me money and power to do the things I want. And because Jesus paid for all mankind's sins for all time, nothing any human does to another human is a sin. So I should be allowed to organize the herd of humans, and eventually to cull the herd of humans for the benefit of the herd, because I am superior. Now, today we're aghast at that, and liberals don't know that that's where they came from. They know that they think that they are better than other people, and they ensure themselves that they are because They want what they feel is best, and they feel righteous about it. So the fact that I don't feel righteous along with them means that I am against them and therefore inferior, and they don't have to listen to me. They can lie, cheat, and steal to me because I don't count. And that, unfortunately, is it for all of us other Americans and other humans. If you come against up against someone who's liberal and you don't agree with them, then they feel they have, that you are not their human brother, not through God, and a lot of them say that they believe in God, as long as, of course, he stays where he belongs, which is out of their lives. Unfortunately, we have allowed these people to multiply and to take over our entertainment area, our media area, our children's teaching area, so that basically they are teaching our children to be disaffected from us and from our country. And we have to change that. I should thank them, although I really don't feel like it, for pressing and pressing. They are easily seen to not be sponsors of God. The fact that they are listed, and this happened, what, 3,000 years ago, by Solomon in Proverbs 6, is something that we should take note of. And I'm going to look for those right now so that I can read them to you. I've got them pretty much memorized, but here we go. Solomon in Proverbs 6 says, There are six things that the Lord hates, even seven that are disgusting to him. Now, this was written 3,000 years ago. So people living today do not have to believe these things and come so openly and say these things except for the fact that their master, evil, cannot get out of the way. He can't be anything other than what he is. 
Or we might try to hide it and put a pretty face on it. But the fact of the matter is, evil is evil. Here are the six things, no, even seven, that are disgusting to him. Arrogant eyes. Well, I think we've covered that pretty much. If you're a liberal, you think you're better than other people. Arrogant eyes. A lying tongue. Not just politicians. Anybody who thinks that they are better than you are and that you don't count because you don't measure up to them feels no compunction about lying to you. And they will lie to themselves about why they lie to you because they don't have anybody to shine a light on them and ask them, why are you doing this? All their friends are liberals too. A mind devising wicked plans. Gee, where have we heard that? Never let a crisis go to waste? Hmm. Yeah, if there's a problem happening, quick. Paint your opponent as having caused it or made it worse. I wonder if that's what's happening with the uh, police issue now, with COVID. I'm sure that that was Donald Trump's fault, right? All of this is Donald Trump's fault, right? Because after all, it couldn't be anybody else's fault. Feet that are quick to do wrong. Gee, where have we heard that? How many scandals have there been? Only the ones that we caught, but how many scandals? And they're on both sides of the aisle, unfortunately. They're more on the one side than on the other, but there shouldn't be any. Our elected representatives should represent us in a forthright, forthright structured, objective manner. And we have not selected for that, which is something we need to do. A dishonest witness spitting out lies. I don't need to go over recent history. How many times have we seen uh, someone come up for to be approved for the Supreme Court and the liars just line up? And who promotes those liars? Who pushes them forward? Who prompts them? who gives them information, flies them from one place to another, puts them up in hotels. Yeah, I think we know the answer to that. And the last one is the one that is probably the most damning, even though it's in the center of the ones that Solomon said, I saved it for last because we know where it comes from. Hands that kill innocent people. Now, what is more innocent than an unborn child? I don't think there's an answer to that. Nothing. There is nothing more innocent than an unborn child. And to kill that child, for the mother to say, basically, I'll hold them here and hold my legs open while you kill them and suck them out of me, is probably the worst thing that they can do. And who promotes that? Who supports that? Who hires the doctors and puts them in clinics and then wants to charge us to pay for it? Yeah, we know about that. Well, that's what we have to fight. We have to take these people out of power. And in order to do that, we have to organize and we have to get busy and work on the things that are important to us and that includes restructuring the entire methodology that we have for elections. We can't do anything about how they're conducted, but we can do something about choosing the individuals and vetting them and see whether or not they are proper, if they are educated, if they are capable, if they have a history of doing things that is not for the public good. And that's what we have to do. That's our job. Our job is to devise a hybrid method for making decisions, separate the personal from the public, establish that the public use a good 
and proper, objective point of view and methodology for making decisions and that it helps everybody as much as possible. Now, that is something that I'm going to speak with Dennis about, and that is what I'm speaking to you about now. We need to organize and get together and get it done. We cannot keep complaining and waiting for someone else to come in and fix it. We have to fix it. Our children are depending on us. We allow them to be trained and indoctrinated by people who were indoctrinated by teachers in colleges who were indoctrinated by professors whose only goal was to be accepted. And the only way they could be accepted was by being in the same club together. So it wasn't right. It wasn't wrong. It was just what it took to get accepted. And it snowballed because now we're to the point where the society structure is actually falling apart. And we need to get it right. So once again, I want to let you know 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 22 should be your most important thing that you um, carry with you and how you attack life. Earlier in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul said, told us, it was not God's intention that we experience his anger, but that we obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. What Jesus said is, my yoke is not heavy, burdens light. You can get work done with my yoke. And that's the whole point. Jesus brought us a work program where we could rectify the problem through the grace that was offered us, through the understanding that was offered us, and through the methodology that was already written into the Bible for us to straighten things out and ourselves out so that we could once again become obedient children of God. And that's important, because unless we do, then everything that we're doing will go down in failure. Look no further than Deuteronomy 30. So, once again, I've gone through Proverbs 5, or Proverbs 6, pardon me, Proverbs 3, 5, where he says, Love the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. I've let you know that the human point of view limits you and that the biblical point of view expands your horizons. People can only give you part of what it is that they know. And for you to get anything more, you have to reach outside yourself. Now, scientists do this, but then the people who report what the scientists say don't. They report what's popular what they want you to hear, because they're in the reporting end rather than the science end. And we need to get to the point where we can be scientifically, objectively accurate, building our solution, rebuilding our civilization so that we can go forward and finally reach out and find God, because that is what it's all about. God said, Anyone who searches for me wholeheartedly, I will let find me. And that's what we've got to do. Not as individuals, but as humans. Each individual person is a cell in the body of humanity. And God has one child, humanity. So the individuals that are healthy have to improve the cells that are unhealthy. And when they die off, make sure that they are not replaced with unhealthy cells, but are replaced with healthy cells. We are at the point we are going to lose the franchise. Now, we don't know whether God will go on and 
find another planet in another solar system and run this again? We don't know if he has before now. We have never asked ourselves that. Even though God wanted us to ask ourselves, who are we, what are we, and why are we here on earth? Those three questions are the ones that Moses passed on. And it's not just for the Israelites. It was for all of humanity. Who are you? What are you? And why are you here on earth? The important part is that we know it now. And we know, because we can see outside ourselves and outside our solar system, that things exist and are carrying on out there, and we don't understand them or why they happen. But God told us that everything out there is part of him and part of us. That's the important part. We are not extraneous to everything that is happening. We are part of it. We are an integral part of it. As far as we know, and we need to work on this, we are the reason that God created reality. We're not a mistake. We're not leftovers. We need to work on figuring out what it is that God wanted us to know. He wouldn't have put us here, given us this plan, sent us someone who was completely connected to humanity and yet had the Spirit of God with him while he lived on earth. Unless it was to say, look, you can do it. Here is your example. Jesus was our example. And we need to live up to that example. We don't need to put him and say, oh, well, he was God. He was man and God, and we can do it too. So it's getting time for me to wrap up, and I am hopeful that I will have a great report for you next week. Having talked to Dennis, I'm going to try and get him to come onto the show and, um, and discuss these things with you, and it will be a call-in show. So if I can get him to uh, show up and sit with me. So wish me well, and we'll be talking to you next week. And in the meantime, love God and what he's done for you, and read the Bible. <laughs>